0: Welcome everyone to this debut episode of Smug and Play, a podcast about Windows 9x era games, technology, and culture. Uh, I am your first host, Austin Stewart. Uh, I was a project manager at Apple and worked on a number of software projects for them. And also on my own time, I made the Macafom NES emulator. I eventually wound up at Twitch Interactive uh, and was responsible for the mobile apps uh, for Twitch TV. Um, so, those are my brief bona fides, and I also have an enormous pile of uh, hardware rotting in my closet and all over my desk, uh, and way too much time invested in uh, PC games. And my co-host... Uh,
1: through number two
0: site. host...
1: <laughs> number Alan. two.
0: He looks like number two.
1: <laughs> Sorry. uh yeah, my uh, main qualification, I was a child during this time. Uh, we had <laughs> many, <laughs> we played many of these games that we we're going to talk about, and we had a lot of the computer systems, graphics cards, sound cards that we're going to talk about. Uh, we should probably credit our parents, because in doing research, I realized they spent a lot of money buying a lot of
0: Yeah, I was actually terrified. Hardware. Yeah. I ended up calling my father, actually, to confirm the price of the Gateway 2000 system we bought in... Uh, in 1995 and uh it's terrifying actually um so yeah shout out to our parents for buying all of this stuff could have bought a yugo for that that money you could have bought several yugos um uh right so let me quickly talk about um the purpose of this podcast and, and the plan for what's coming up in future episodes so i've noticed that Uh, Nostalgia for the early DOS era is splashed across social media right now. But I don't really see as much going on for the Windows 9X era from roughly 1995 through 2001. Um, And in that seven-year span, hardware and software evolved at an unprecedented rate and produced technologies and creative works whose impact really continue right up through the present day. GeForce and Radeon, StarCraft and Fallout, those were all products of this era and to fully appreciate their significance, we're going to play those games, we're going to get hands-on with the hardware, and we're going to invite you to relive that experience with us going month by month. So we're actually going to, in each episode, cover a different month, uh, starting uh, with our premiere episode now in December of 1994 as a sort of like pre-era sort of uh, catch-up um, play through the games on uh, every month's PC game or demo disc, starting from the very beginning, uh, play through some especially influential titles that we can address in, in um, other uh, sort of longer-form episodes, uh, and uh, talk about the new hardware that was released, maybe get hands-on with that hardware, um, because I'm going to be personally playing through all of these games on period-correct hardware, uh, so help me God. Uh, I've already burned myself horribly uh, with soldering irons uh, in my attempt to get this going, um, but I'm excited to do it. Um, Alan, you want to step in here? I wanted to interject a little bit. Yeah,
1: so I mean, before 95, I would say if you wanted a game, you wanted to play on consoles. Consoles were king. But yeah. as Austin said, hardware advanced so quickly, and the PC was getting those updates instantaneously, whereas the consoles, Mm-hmm. You know, they had a cycle of four or five years in between them. So during this time, you really wanted to be on PC. And I would say actually after this, the end of our period of 01, you could probably go back to consoles. They had all the games, same as PC, right. and be happy. But, right. you know, you really had to play on on, on the computer
0: for these. Yeah, um, you, you could come in with Xbox. And then see a lot of what the products of this uh, era of rapid evolution were. But you'd really miss out on seeing blow by blow um, exactly how it developed and all the crazy ideas that didn't end up um, making their way into more mainstream consumer products.
1: Yeah, I think the other big thing is like nowadays we have this concept of the AAA game. Everybody knows what it is, it's like hyped up and. I think obviously the internet plays a big part in, in hyping those things. But back in the 90s, you might not even know about some game and learn about it from a friend. So like maybe your friend would be like, yo, I've been playing Total Annihilation all summer and it's awesome. And you would be like, I don't even, I've never heard of that. So yeah. I think there was a lot of like, one, there are more developers out there just making games. And two, I think it wasn't established, okay, this is going to be a great game. Like, you had to figure it out, play it, learn for yourself, yeah. which was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the budgets were tiny, um, and they did incredible things with them, but, you know, they didn't throw millions into marketing. There was no... The the install base for any particular game, especially because of the technological requirements, the hardware requirements, you know, it was never going to be that big. It wasn't worth uh, putting a huge multi-million dollar marketing budget behind any of these things. And, and yet, you know... There were so many developers doing really creative things at this time. It really makes it worth looking back. Yeah. And last
1: thing that I remember is just multiplayer was, you know, people were starting to play games with people on modems. If you were very lucky on network. Uh, and so the games that were being played on PC were very different than the ones on consoles because they didn't really get Internet connected until the 2000s.
0: Yeah. So yeah, we definitely see the beginnings of online gaming with games like uh, Quake or before that with Doom being played over Dwango. Uh, and Ultima Online uh, set a whole bunch of precedents for how you would you know run an online game community um, that are definitely still seen today. Why don't you uh set the scene for us in nineteen ninety four so we're we're starting in december of ninety four that's the first month where PC gamer had a demo CD uh, and it's sort of the the beginning of this windows nine x era. Obviously Windows isn't going to come out until toward the end of uh, next year in ninety five but it's christmas time in nineteen ninety four let's recap the year that was ninety four.
1: All right. Very early in this year, famous Winter Olympics incident where Tanya Harding had a minion uh, hit Nancy Kerrigan with a skate on the leg. Uh, That's ruining her her chances in the Olympics. Um, It was big news. Uh It was big news. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Next in political news, Bill Clinton and Russian. This is the Russian Federation now. We're out of the Cold War. President uh, Yeltsin signed the Kremlin Accords, which stopped the pre-programmed aiming of nuclear missiles towards each other's targets. But it's, I mean, it's, they could still program them in a second to fire at those targets.
0: So I'm not sure
1: (laughs) what this really did.
0: The the important thing is that this is a a real period of de-escalation of tensions A lot of the pop culture of the of even the late 80s, um, just prior to the fall of the Soviet Union, was really focused on Cold War tensions, nuclear tension, um, you know. And and so that becomes less of an emphasis in this era um, because of of this, you know, like real detente that's happening um, in between the United States and Russia. All right. Kurt Cobain. Obviously, Nirvana was an extremely popular band, very influential, brought like, you know, brought a particular kind of you know Pacific Northwest punk uh, to, uh, to the masses. Was, and this was a, a tragic event and a, a real shock for a lot of people who were teens at the time.
1: All right, next, uh, Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman were murdered outside the Simpson Home in LA, and there was a famous scene with O.J. Simpson, uh, you know, driving, you know, a slow speed chase in his white Bronco. His white Bronco, yes. probably the most publicized court hearing of all time. He was found not guilty uh, of the criminal offense, which was uh, probably, and still is probably the biggest criminal case controversy ever. Uh, November 4th, uh, a conference devoted to the World Wide Web opens in San Francisco. Uh, obviously very big in that was uh, Netscape um, and a whole host of other characters in the early web. So this was, you know, basically before this, you know, you could get on the Internet and join one of the walled gardens like CompuServe, AOL, and um, and it wasn't really until 94 that even the concept of like an open internet kind of started. So, yeah. So you can see that things were very early.
0: <laughs> right. The web was not what it is today or even what it was in 1998. In 1994, people were just talking about the possibility of everyone sort of traversing the same web. Um, so, yes, very different world.
1: Yep. And late in the year, Tupac was shot five
0: times and robbed, but survived this but one. Survived until 1996, when he was yeah. shot again. <laughs> not yeah. a good year for Tupac. Many, many years are not going to be good for Tupac. Listen for more Tupac news as we continue through the Windows 9X era. Um, there you
1: go. And then you also wanted to... Oh, sorry, that's pop culture. Sorry,
0: Go to well, I wanted to so those are some historical events. um you know there are obviously a lot of other things going on the war between um uh, the the genocide in, in bosnia herzegovina um, and uh, many other things going on. I want to talk a little bit about um sort of pop culture events so you know what's kind of popular. Uh, outside of outside of the historical stuff um so the last episode of star trek the next generation airs in 94 uh tng actually ends with um with the episode all good things um but uh babylon 5's uh pilot airs in 94 and uh, the first season of friends begins in 94 so there's a big pivot sort of in sci-fi and a sort of big pivot in like rom-com sitcom television um animaniacs and mighty Morphin power rangers are uh popular with the kids on tv uh the simpsons is well established it's aired its 100th episode in 94 um the x-files has just wrapped its first season and is beginning its second um as we head into december um in the top grossing films for this year you might be able to guess the number one was forrest gump run forrest gump right um which oddly, I don't, I don't know of any Forrest Gump licensed games for either console or PC. Um, are you aware of <laughs> Seems like a major missed opportunity, right? I mean.
1: Like a game which is just a box of chocolates? Uh, what do you I, want? Yeah.
0: That would be good. Well, it was a, I was thinking a platformer where you uh, play through various historical theories. <laughs> I don't know. We like turtles in time. Um, no, uh, so Forrest Gump was number one. Number two, not surprisingly, The Lion King. Well,
1: I'm was, surprised that Lion King didn't win this. I mean, Disney now has become yeah. this in, in, unstoppable force. And they it only got depends second on how you, here.
0: It depends on how you measure it. I saw something else that said that Lion King was the highest. I think if you count International or something, Lion King blows away Forrest Gump. But... Um, uh, True Lies the Schwarzenegger action flick um, Get in the chopper. and then right behind Arnold Schwarzenegger um the uh I guess this is a is this is a Tim Allen vehicle the Santa Claus is that right uh, a a holiday movie complete trash um coming in at number 4 and then and then behind the Santa Claus you have the Flintstones which was also not particularly a great movie. Oh, Dumb shit, and Dumber man. with uh Jim Carrey and uh future future serious actor um Jeff Daniels. Yes. Know. Future yes, future serious actor Jeff Daniels. Uh Clear and Present Danger, I believe, was a Harrison Ford movie based on a like a Clancy novel or something like that. Or somebody. Uh Speed. Oh my god, Keanu Reeves. With Keanu. Oh. Oh. It's cool he's back again but he was uh was it was that was sandra bullock and speed yeah. yeah yeah and then uh more jim carrey was big in this period uh the mask uh which is another jim carrey feature and then finally all the way down there at number 10 we have uh, pulp fiction so that was the lineup um some of those movies, I think, have uh, stood the test of time better than others. Um, basically, only Pulp Fiction. Um, and The Lion King, I guess. We'll, and everything else can uh, forget. about gaming in in 94 and alan i, I invite you to interject at various moments mm. i don't think i'm going to say anything contentious here um but i wanted to kind of give my take on it um i think in 94 console gaming really overshadowed what was happening on pc 94 was not the biggest year for PC gaming. Saturn was released earlier, and that that was what was really introducing uh, gamers to real-time consumer 3D games. Um, 94 was also the year that the Super Nintendo, um, obviously not at the the cutting edge of technology, but definitely the cutting edge of creativity, received some of its most timeless releases. I mean, um, we have Super Metroid, we have Donkey Kong Country, we have Earthbound, Final Fantasy 3 or 6 as it's known elsewhere, Super Punch-Out, NBA Jam, Earthworm Jim, Illusion of Gaia. Those are all 1994 releases. You really were spoiled for choice for games uh, on Super Nintendo and on consoles yeah. generally.
1: I mean, Donkey year. Kong Country, I think, was the biggest thing that year. I mean, the yeah. graphics, while obviously cheating with pre-rendering, were right. just far and beyond the best. And Rare was just... Rare was, they're like the best developers ever, at least of this era, I think.
0: Uh, of that era, they they definitely commanded a, a huge following. And they negotiated the, the I think they negotiated the transition between 8, 16, and then sort of 32 or 64-bit in the console space uh, more deftly than other developers did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Donkey Kong Country was a lot of consumers' first experience of, Silicon Graphics Rendered 3D. It wasn't rendered in real time. They were sort of getting it, you know, in a post-process version. But that was, for many people, sort of an example of how computers uh, and computer graphics were going to enable sort of new, fully imagined worlds uh, to explore.
1: Yeah, I noticed you didn't mention Star Fox, but I just checked and that's from
0: 93. But that was obviously
1: obviously like a huge title as well.
0: Right, so you want to talk about um, multimedia on, on? Yeah, PCs. I mean,
1: I I feel like we landed in kind of a rough spot actually <laughs> for gaming, but uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, but I feel like it's important. It's
1: important. Yeah, I mean, so at this time, you know, digital video was something that was starting to become uh, quite quite hot, uh, and a lot of producers were coming up with games that were kind of like somewhat choose your own adventure, but mostly their videos and you watch them and you can kind of select a few different things. Like night trap was the big obvious one and it kind of right. stole the headlines because it started Senate hearings and all this right. kind of stuff on what should be allowed in video games and ultimately resulted in the rating system. Um, Also, you know, the year before, 93, Myst came out with... uh, It's a puzzle adventure game with all these different pre-rendered graphics. And that couldn't fit on floppies, for sure. So all this stuff drove CD-ROM adoption. And I think a lot of people, game producers in this day, thought that, like, you're going to have to record, you know, 20 minutes of video with you know, real actors to Mm -hmm. make a game that people would buy.
0: Yeah. I mean, Myst showed, uh, the power of that kind of software. Um, and it was, it was the best selling game really period until the Sims, uh, unseated it, um, which was always bizarre because great hits would come and go, but they would never really, um, take a, a dent out of the, the sales record set. Um, And so I think people people saw that and thought that that's what sort of the mainstream interest in in uh, multimedia and multimedia games, you know, was Um, immersive sort of first person experiences rendered in whatever the highest quality was possible, given the technology. Yeah,
1: and so I heard you wanted to talk a little bit about silicon, germanium, and doping. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: not, the, not the kind of doping they do like in uh, professional cycling, but the uh, kind they do in uh, chip fabs. So um, sort of to take you back, um, in 94, the pace of, of evolution of technology was not blistering like it would be in 98 or 99. Uh, in, in 94, um, the fastest... You know, home computer you can buy is a 100 megahertz Pentium uh, PC with 16K of on-die cache. Um, according to Intel, the chip was launched in 1994 in March. But if you read a little bit deeper into uh, magazines of the era, you'll find that Intel was actually struggling to to hit the 100 megahertz barrier up until the end through December a lot of OEMs weren't shipping Pentium 100 systems because they couldn't get them in quantity. And the few that were were just getting handfuls of these chips from Intel at ridiculous uh, prices. And to, just to give you a sense, I mean, computers already cost, you know, the average computer, uh, Pentium computer, is going to cost you, three, you know, $3,000 or more dollars in 1994 dollars. Uh, Dell was charging $500 more For their 100 megahertz Pentium systems than their 90 megahertz Pentium systems, which so basically it was a prestige uh, chip. It wasn't something that you were likely to actually see in 94. Remember that in 94, Intel doesn't even have the Pentium Pro yet. That hasn't happened. So, and there's no big diversified line of Pentiums um, that represent the entry level, mid range, and high end of the market. Really, the the Pentium was the ultra high end, and the highest end Pentiums were Unobtainium. And then mid range is more in the 40 486s. Um, you know, 486DX being on the higher end of the of the mid range, and then the low end was 386. By this time, the 386DX line. Um, so. You know, if you were playing games in '94, it's very likely that you were not playing those games on a 100 megahertz Pentium. It's almost it's almost impossible to think that you were running them on a 100 megahertz Pentium. I, I looked at the ads; Falcon Northwest, the famous sort of like, you know, gaming PC builder, were running, and they weren't even advertising at this time 100 megahertz Pentiums. They were their highest end system they advertised was 90. Um, so, very likely the games that we're going to be talking about, you were playing on a 486 or less. Um, and, you know, we wouldn't see, we wouldn't see 120 megahertz Pentium until next year. You know, we, we would only hit 133 by the end of like, of 95. Um, so, uh, it starts out slow, but just, you know, buckle up because it's going to go by real fast after that.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And you want to talk about the graphics cards of these <laughs> days. I think I should lead in because you've been very technical. I mean, I've been very technical. Graphics yes. cards of these days, my understanding, I mean, they didn't have 3D acceleration. Their main purpose was to have enough memory to support the resolution and colors. You have to understand, you know, these things had, like, maybe, like, a megabyte if you were lucky, right? Yeah. Um, with And had to fit in all the pixels and the colors. And then they had a digital audio or a digital digital to analog converter. Yep. Uh, they had to push those you know digital bits into to uh, you know a format that the monitor could support. So yeah,
0: because monitors and, back then were analog CRTs.
1: Right. So they didn't do much else. Like the you know the CPU had to do the drawing and kind of push that right. stuff over to the graphics
0: yeah. card at the time you have kind of two kinds of graphics cards. You have, you know, typically ISA graphics cards for DOS that are basically just dumb frame buffers um, because that's really all DOS needs uh, is, you know, some contiguous memory to blit into. And then you have what were called Windows accelerators, which were, uh, by this time, uh, more expensive PCI cards that had sort of like marginal dos speed but were really optimized to accelerate the uh drawing uh that windows used in order to accelerate the display of guis you know being able to draw rectangles and things like that so you know ati had their mach 64 which was a windows accelerator and it was uh you know very good at drawing you know guis in windows 3.1 uh s3 had a number of high-end vision cards um that uh, were also uh, GUI accelerators. And in if you're a gamer, at the end of 94, your best option was probably something like S3's new Trio 64, which was a 64-bit, um, uh, fully 64-bit pixel pipe with 64-bit memory and 64-bit um, uh, pixel generation um, that sort of gave you the best of both worlds. It was a... Uh, a, a full Windows accelerator um, for drawing GUIs, but it also paired that with a high performing DOS frame buffer so that you could get good performance in Windows for business tasks and also good performance in DOS for gaming. Um, ATI, for instance, at this time, the Mach 64 is kind of rubbish uh, for gaming, and a lot of other, even the high end sort of Windows accelerator PCI cards, are actually really crappy as uh, DOS gaming cards. Um, but the the trio 64, which is what we had in our computer in '95, and which is what I'm actually going to be using uh, for the for gaming for this period, um, it would have run you between $300 and $400, depending on submodel in in '94, which is more than $500 today. Um, so these things were as expensive as the you know as the high-end geforce boards that uh, people buy today um, but were much more modest in their functionality Um, the specifically the s3 trio is uh trio 64 is is worth talking about because it had a lot of features to support the sort of full motion video gaming that uh, alan talked about it has actually some uh, sort of basic video decode acceleration and it also has um, some future proofing for some stuff that Microsoft says they're one day gonna support such as actually being able to get the list of supported resolutions and refresh rates from the monitor so that the driver can choose something appropriate. That that didn't even exist before this range of cards. Um, and those were some sort of like high-end features that were making their way into a, a hybrid uh, consumer product. And there's no 3D acceleration, right? right. There's none, there's no, Home like computer 3D graphics acceleration is unheard of. All 3D that's being done on home computers right now is going to be uh, uh, software drawing, software algorithms that are um, rendering a 3D space. I mean, we should mention that Nvidia has only been around since April of '93, and they don't have a product in '94. They don't end up releasing their first product until '95. And, and when they do, and we talk about that, it's not going to be what you expect um, if you don't know about the history of early consumer 3D. Um, uh, Silicon Graphics has released the OpenGL specification in 1992 as a multi-platform library, but Microsoft was already planning a competing uh, API, and they were not in a hurry to get that working on their operating system, partly because the only hardware that could really benefit from the OpenGL API spec for 3D, uh, was tens of thousands of dollars and was made by SGI. Um, and, and was being used to do things like render Donkey Kong Country. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, why don't we talk about some of the games that were released in 94? As we said, 94 wasn't the biggest year for PC gaming, but there's a lot of important stuff that came out that we should briefly mention just to give context.
1: Yeah, all right. Doom 2. Doom you 2. S- you, yeah, Doom came out the year before. You say Doom 2 is the first retail Doom, so I assume the first, the Doom 1 was shareware, which you yeah, didn't share a with me don't. yet. You're, <laughs> not a, you're not a very sharing brother.
0: I need to email you a, a floppy. Well, you can just log on to my BBS and download it very slowly over your 2400-baud modem. Um, it's important to note that when doom came out in 1993 people didn't go to like walmart or even to like electronics boutique or walden soft or whatever and go and pick up a copy of doom off the shelf when doom came out in 93 it was released the first episode was released on bulletin boards and then you would go and you would download that and then you would play it just you know the first the first episode of it and if you thought it was cool then they, they gave you an address when you exited the program, you would you would get a an envelope. You would write a check out to ID Software, and you would put it in your mailbox. And they would send you back some discs that have the other episodes. And that's how Doom was originally distributed. That's the shareware model. And if you didn't have access to a BBS, then you either got the shareware version from a magazine, or you got it from your friend who copied it after he downloaded it from the uh, from the BBS. And like that was. That was Doom. People, Doom don't, didn't get in front of a lot of people who weren't already kind of looking for it. So Doom 2 is big because it's the first retail release of Doom. They, they signed with a publisher, GT Interactive, and they actually put a, a version of Doom in store. So a lot of people don't find out about Doom uh, even until, until 1994. And they would later do re-releases. But, um, you know, like, Doom was an overnight success, but it didn't really become a more mainstream success until a little later. Yeah, and we're
1: going to talk a lot about it's we'll software talk, and all that. So yeah, we're going to talk a lot about it.
0: Um, there's a lot to say.
1: All right. I mean, next one you're going to have to introduce because I don't know what this is.
0: Okay. So Alan was talking about popular FMV games. One of the most popular FMV games for PC in 1994 was Under a Killing Moon by Access Software. It is a very schlocky detective noir game that thinks it's funny um but i don't i i I played it and i had a lot of difficulty seeing much of it as humorous um uh it's made by the same people who made the lynx uh series of of golf um of golf games uh that was like their money maker was lynx 386 and they would you know make later lynx games um but that was uh that was another big one for this year it was it was notable because it had a cool like 3d engine that you use to traverse spaces that you're looking for clues in as well as schlocky somewhat funny somewhat serious fmv sequences um the the sequel to under killing moon i think is way better but we won't get there in this year okay <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. do you know about this next one
1: well i played the demo system shock okay cyberpunk doing missions crazy stuff it was way ahead of its time that's what i've i've gleaned from this title i didn't i didn't even understand why they attempted it in this year
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes it's just system shock is this incredibly uh ambitious and extremely influential narrative sort of story driven first person uh experience um from Looking Glass Studios that made uh, the Ultima Underworld games. The Ultima Underworld games up in this time are considered by many to be the best PC games that have been made. They, they took Ultima sort of superficially, um, basically took a, a fantasy roleplay environment and then created this fully 3D world that you explored and that your combat happened in in real time and all these crazy ambitious ideas for a hardware that was couldn't really do 3D all that well. Um, and in system shock um which you may you know notice shares a second word with bioshock which is what many of the developers of this game would go on to work on um system shock takes uh what was done in ultimate underworld and puts it into a sci-fi cyberpunk context um to great effect um it is one of the most compelling and, and influential pc games ever and it was also like it ran like crap at the time it supported uh you know 640 by 480 svga graphics and good good luck um trying to get a decent frame rate out of that before 1997 but um
1: wow i mean it is it is stunning all right next warcraft orcs and humans really put uh, Blizzard Entertainment on the map. They actually made some other games, mostly console
0: games. Before, well, this. we'll talk about and we'll talk of about other one... early games in a second. But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. yes, you you love the RTS genre,
1: real time I... strategy. That's me. <laughs> Shake it, baby. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so they didn't make that one. <laughs> I know, I know. But anyway, Blizzard uh, was captivated by Westwood's Dune Two, which was kind of the not technically the first real time strategy, but pretty much the real first
0: modern real time strategy game. First thing and that resembles a modern real time strategy, modern, although it's, it's not, you can't even do multiple unit selection in that. So it's not really yeah. all that modern, but it looks modern.
1: So long story short, Warcraft made things a, a lot better and made a game that's definitely worth playing. Um, next game is Wing Commander 3 Heart of the Tiger. Yeah, which we're going to talk about more. So maybe we should move to the next for
0: now. Yeah, we'll talk. This was another landmark title, and we'll talk more about it in a second. But uh, similar to that was Tie Fighter, which um, is similar to Wing Commander, and that it, it it wrapped a space combat sim in a interesting narrative uh, where choices matter uh, and and showed what you could do in computer games with the Star Wars license. This is one of the games that really puts uh, LucasArts on the map in addition to their incredible adventure game output. Um, and TIE Fighter, TIE Fighter in its floppy disk version is out in 94. It will be followed up next year with a really amazing uh, CD-ROM edition uh, that we'll probably end up talking about a lot then. <laughs> and, and the best part
1: is, you know only the original trilogy had been released so it's like in a <laughs> good right. star wars universe
0: yes. right at, at this point you know it, it when people say star wars like the definitive version of star wars at this point is like the laserdisc release you know like we won't get the we won't get the quote unquote like improved re-release the, theatrical re-release of the original trilogy until 97 and we're long away from any prequel nonsense so at this point like Star Trek is this, is this sorry, Star Wars is this beautiful, pure space opera that's yet to be completely corrupted by its creator. Um, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Okay, well, next game, Magic Carpet, made by Bullfrog Entertainment, which was led by the famous Peter Molyneux. Yes. Uh, this game, I think, graphically was the best of this year, and It's quite good. I think I made the mistake of playing it without any instructions, and I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) But once I knew what I was doing, yeah, uh, I could see how you would get lost in this game forever. It's got you know, you're flying in a 3D world, and it's not ugly, remarkably.
0: No. Um, it's it's a unique sort of environment, you know. It's not it's not cyberpunk and it's not medieval fantasy. It's this, you know, it's Arabian it's Nights. It's I would Arabian Nights. Appropriate for a year, you know. Aladdin had what come out the year before this, and mm. that right. Um, but it was it was a unique uh, and technically technically impressive title, and it set the stage for a lot of future unique and technically impressive bullfrog games. Um, so it's it, it's sort of there. One of their you know big milestones, um, and I want to talk about the last one because I have so much affection for this game, and I and I didn't at the time. So XCOM UFO Defense comes out in '94. I play it on some UK CD-ROM shareware thing uh, in demo form, and it it throws me into a mission, and I and I click on I you know I click on some Uh, alien with one of my uh you know troops and it fires the weapon and it misses and i go what that doesn't make any sense i'm i'm certain that i clicked on the right space this game is dumb and broken and i didn't touch it again until i was an adult um after reading you know many top 10 lists of pc games and oh my god xcom ufo defense is one of the most engrossing strategy experiences i have ever played i i have every time i go to just like try it out again i end up playing it for like two days just because the gameplay loop is so satisfying of of you know basically it's it's turn-based it's turn-based uh sort of strategy game that's it's isometric and it's based julian gallup the creator that's based it on some sort of uh hex based war games that he played on, on tabletop. Um, and you you know you use your your turn points to position yourself and then to take actions like firing the gun and you you start out completely outgunned by the aliens and then you by you know collecting alien artifacts and things that you sell through your like you know black ops organization you develop new technologies so you're able to take to the field and fight them but the aliens are also getting more advanced and a lot of crazy beautiful things happen in this game um that i don't i don't want to spoil even though it's not it's not a narrative heavy game in terms it's not throwing story sequences and stuff like that at you it tells this incredible story through your own play of the game uh and if you if you love turn-based strategy then i highly recommend it it's 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 up there for best game of all time for me
1: and it's definitely maybe with the exception of doom the best game on this list yeah i um it's great. Why didn't we play more of it? Why did you snub it? What's wrong with you?
0: I don't know. I don't know why I snubbed it at the time. Especially because I love the X-Files. And this is so in line with that alien conspiracy with really great tactics. And I, no one I've shown this game to has been like... That's 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 antiquated and nerdy. I don't like it. My wife, I showed her this game. My wife became obsessed with this game for months. She, like, Iron man this game uh and we uh, we basically we had to pry ourselves away from it it is it is that good it is it is hard to uh it's hard to find fault with it um and yeah a, a timeless timeless classic
1: so let's go into the gimmick of this
0: podcast. The gimmick of this podcast is that we're playing through every single U.S. PC gamer demo CD-ROM that was ever released, starting with the very first, which was December of 1994. Um, my personal goal is to play through all of these on period-correct hardware. I'm actually still soldering together some of the broken components of my Pentium 100 that I bought from a recycler about a week ago. So I ended up using DOSBox um, to play these. Alan, what did you end up doing? Yeah, so I do not want to solder things. I'm trying right. to
1: take an approach which our listeners might like actually want to pursue. So uh, I'm running a PCEM-emulated uh, Pinium 133 with uh, S3 Verge DX card with Voodoo 1 graphics... And a Sound Blaster AWE32, which is just so, so good. I don't know if it's emulating it well, but the you know uh, the AWE32 was known for its great synthesizing. Uh, Does it have list. a
0: Yamaha OPL synth on it? <laughs> the thing is, Creative made 15 million revisions of every single card, and like 90% of them are trash, but like 10% of them are really good. And I, it's hard to say... Like they kept on revising and cost reducing, and I don't know. I, I, I'm i really nostalgic for Yamaha uh, OPL synth because I had a Sound Blaster Pro 2 in my 386, and so I always try to find something that closely approximates that, even if it's not legit. Um, but it definitely yeah, definitely
1: has a Yamaha chip on it, you know. This was another thing. That cost $400. And the W yes. E 32 had its own like ROMs and and, <laughs> and RAM slots.
0: Well, yeah, it's got um, SIM slots so, on it for the yeah. sound font. Yeah, yeah. so Nothing cost less than $400. <laughs> Dude, even a CD drive would cost you that much. You know, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a very expensive hobby. And it, it's not even all that cheap now. Um, All right, CD time. CD-ROM. CD-ROM. Okay, well, um, normally when we do this, we'll talk about what was in PC Gamer Magazine that month. I Actually, I couldn't find, I do not own a copy, and I could not find a scan of the complete December 94 issue. Um, But the feature that uh, issue was, unsurprisingly, Wing Commander 3. Uh, And guess what? They really loved it um, because it combined sort of the best of, high-resolution space shooters with the best of high-budget FMV. Um, I've got two words for you, okay. Mark Hamill. Are those really words? <laughs> I mean, are like two two names for me? <laughs> Mark? Yeah. He's the guy who played Cockknocker in that Kevin Smith movie, right? Mm-hmm. That was his
1: breakout role. That Sure. <laughs> he was also Luke Skywalker. Oh,
0: right. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, that one. That one. I was amazed at the FU that was him being in Wing Commander 3, but not TIE Fighter. I guess X-Wing
0: would be actually the game that he would be in. But Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, <laughs> Wing Commander, he was in Wing Commander from before that, I thought. Oh, really? Yeah, and and that series goes way back that's origin same publisher as um as ultima um and yeah i guess he signed a contract or something but yeah he's uh he's mr wing commander i mean i just i i think that technically it's the best space combat sim i mean yeah like real-time space combat sim i saw uh of everything i played and
1: um but you would rather have played TIE fighter because the stories. I think more,
0: I prefer it. I there's, there's interesting, like, like, for instance, I like TIE fighter more than I like X-Fling. It's because like the moral ambiguity and things of that story are, are more interesting to me in the same way that like uh, a recent PC game more recent PC game papers, please, you know, you're working for this evil empire. That's more sort of interesting. I think narratively, um, and also, like I I don't know. I it was bizarre. It wing commander three. So the demo has two has two like parts. First, there's like this endless mm-hmm. looping trailer video, and then you yeah. hit it you hit escape and then suddenly it throws you into like some contrived combat situation, which is fun. Um, but the 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 video, like there's a huge disparity in the acting performances between fully committed and like Fully not committed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think we'll keep talking about this throughout the series because I have some opinions, even about Westwood. What are they? I think it was a terrible mistake. Anyway, (laughs) but yeah, they had Mark Hamill. They also had—I thought it was Sting, but it was actually Malcolm McDowell. I was disappointed. Yes. So
0: I know (laughs) Malcolm Uh, McDowell channeling Sting yeah uh, malcolm mcdowell's yeah. performance is fully committed but then like there, I, I have some i have some quotes here like somebody's getting reprimanded by whoever that like caption is and he, and he says you put yourself ahead of the interest of the fleet you can never do that like his tone of voice he's like you can never do that what are you doing
1: uh i don't I just think like- they like did more than one take of any of these, you know, F and V,
0: You know, they never rarely did because it was expensive. I mean, we're gonna, no, Mark, I want more emotion. Uh, like, I don't, I don't think they were gonna do that. Um, right, So we just move on? I mean, hey, Wing Commander is a great, yeah. Game. I mean, I, I, I kind of
1: wish game. that I got a little bit more than the demo. I think a lot of the demos,
0: yeah,
1: era, they're just there to kind of like titillate you and go away and, uh, I I well, guess my interest was peaked but I, I don't know I couldn't really get into it. Yeah, it was hard it. to get a real I was appreciation terrible the at, game from it at controlling the game too for some reason.
0: Anyway, yeah. Well, so this demo was joystick only I think and then like so I was using I was using joystick emulation in DOSBox and it it was okay but um, it was my one of my preferred experience. So yeah. So the other headlining demo on the disc is a game called Dragon Fantasy. Wait, um, I thought it was Dragon Lore, and that's what I wrote. Oh, it. sorry. Did I write? I just wrote the wrong thing. Dragon Lore. Sorry, not Dragon Fantasy. I think it's some other game. Dragon Lore. Excuse me.
1: You just autocorrected other games. I don't think it's
0: okay. <laughs> I think yeah. I just autocorrected. Um, what's your take before I say anything? Uh, I played a little bit of it was an obvious mist clone
1: trying to yes, capitalize on that thing. And uh, I don't know. There was a very scary creature, and I wanted to fight it, but then it was just blocking my way. And
0: I was right. like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I i I encountered very little in terms of either lore or dragon in Dragon Lore. Um, what I did encounter was a Hirsute shirtless man who <laughs> told me that the milk pail was leaking, and I urgently needed to find a replacement for it because the cow, whose name was... Does anyone remember what the cow's name is? I don't remember. The cow, who had a name, uh, needed to be milk, desperately. Um, and I traversed the fairly sparse, early 90s 3D rendered environment, and I did encounter the large dog-looking things that I thought... So I found this awesome sword in a in a cart and i'm like yes i'm going to vanquish those ugly dog-looking things but then i was unable to use the sword for mm. for that purpose i later discovered a dog bone uh that i fed to the animal which caused it to walk away um and i ultimately retrieved the uh replacement milk pail and then i was instructed to lead the cow back uh for milking purposes presumably um, and I was unable to get the cow motivated uh, and gave up in frustration. <laughs> and that was my experience. Uh, I don't think i have going to Sounds pretty similar. Yeah, I,
1: I was surprised that these were the... I mean, obviously, Wing Commander is a headliner. Right. okay somehow yeah, yeah. this the one... The other one is
0: a headliner. I know, and it had there's all this text around it. It's like it provides an immersive experience unlike anything we've seen before on the PC. And it's like, hey, I mean... It provides a terrible experience that is much worse than the things that it's ripping off. Uh, yeah, I mean, these sorts of adventure
1: games would die kind of shortly after. Obviously, Mist lived on because it was an exceptional version of it, but they, in a few years' time, this kind of, you know, died down. Even though I guess they made a million King's Quest at Sierra.
0: Well, in my I, in my worldview, these are things very died different. Down. I mean, those are. Those are classic Sierra adventure games with charm. This was this was Drek. Like, <laughs> let's be clear. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Next, Desert Strike. I really wanted to play this, um, and could you not I get it I set up my EMS in so many ways, but <laughs> regardless, it just immediately gave me a divide by zero error. Okay. I could just. I really wanted to play it, mostly because I know it's like. General Kilbaba or something, I remember yes. he was made fun of in uh, yes in in
0: our Roger Wilco games. So right, so uh, oh, well, that's Kilbasa from well. The, well, I, you now know that Kilbasa is a parody of the Kilbrothy from wink Oh, really? Yes. I thought
1: it would be Kilbaba. I mean,
0: that's no, closer. No, no,
1: mm.
0: you know. Anyway, yeah. So uh, I did get Desert Strike working, and my my previous so Desert Strike, if you don't know, is a helicopter shooting uh, game slash you know helicopter overhead 2D isometric helicopter mission based game. That's kind of I guess it owes a lot to some other helicopter games like I don't know Bungling Bay and whatnot, um, but it's basically like a cartoon version of the Gulf War. Um, with developers that are pretending to be various like Middle East dictators, like so. There's General Kilbava who looks more like Che Guevara, honestly, and his lieutenant uh, Muammar, um, who's definitely not Muammar Gaddafi. Um, and Muammar, there's this great <laughs> intro, animated intro sequence where Muammar, where Kilbaba says, "Oh, you haven't set up my like crazy missile system." And Muammar's like, "Well, I would do that, but I'm worried that it's going to completely destabilize the world and like result in global conflagration." And there's like all of their budget went into this like four or five frame, fairly fluid animation where Kilbaba smacks Muammar across the face, and it's like the most animated thing in the game, and it's. It's obviously like comedic, uh, but it's also a really terrible taste. Um, the my only other experience with uh, Desert Strike is playing the Genesis version, which has so much butt rock in it that I can't play it when there's anyone else over. It's just the music. As soon as you hit it, as soon as you turn on the console, it just hits you with the worst Genesis butt rock ever. And the music in, in the PC version actually is quite different um, and quite and much more pleasant. There's actually like no music in the in the gameplay sequence. Uh, the gameplay has you do a mission where you take out some radar installations and um, it runs in really low resolution, which is bad in that you can't really see what you're about to fly into, which is usually a whole bank of anti-aircraft missile and installations. And But it's cool in that the you know, helicopter and the other things appear very large on screen. It actually has a lot of depth to it. You have to manage your fuel and your armor and your uh, ammunition for both your gun and for your Hellfire missiles. It's it's almost like a sim in the way that you're kind of doing that. There's an element of realism there, but but it, it, in at least in this demo, there are no gauges on the screen uh, to show <laughs> how much of your ammo and things. So until you when you run out, it like throws or you're like about to blow up. It shows a warning about low armor or something like that on screen. But until then, you don't really know or or fuel. So you go way deep in enemy territory, and then suddenly the fuel light comes on, and if you don't find some oil barrels or whatever they are to, to to hook up into your into your helicopter in the next like ten seconds and it's all over. I also like how when you run out of gas, the helicopter explodes, which seems counterintuitive to me, um, but whatever. Um, it's it's kind of fun. It's obviously it was the Gulf War had only happened you know a little while ago, and the Gulf War wasn't very popular at the end because they aired footage of uh, American uh, air. Uh, attack aircraft destroying a caravan of retreating uh, Iraqi soldiers I believe uh, and just you know decimating them really for no no real reason and and so this kind of inflamed people who were upset about how that war was conducted uh, but that didn't stop it from getting released on every single platform ever and selling a lot um, and it's technically a, I think a pretty decent game uh, modulo. <laughs> not being able to know what your like gauges are saying did you play dawn patrol the next game on this list so i also had an error here even when i turned everything (laughs) off. i actually had i got i got exceptions when i tried to run wing commander initially that took me a long time oh really Wing commander was alright, but yeah um, i know we have very different experiences
1: but uh i did i did watch on youtube Seems like you get to shoot down some Nazis or be Nazis. I don't know. One of those two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and fly around and shoot people, which is fun. Uh,
0: I mean, what what was cool about Dawn Patrol? was blown away. Yeah. I mean, like the combat itself, it was supposed to have great graphics. They failed to put the SVGA version on the disc. So mm-hmm. I played it and it didn't really look all that great. Like jazzed up Microsoft Flight Simulator 4. But what's what I the only cool thing about Dawn Patrol is that it's it's sort of like this weird half edutainment, like half action shooter, historical simulation of, of aircraft shooter. The, the game is presented as as like a book, as like a history book. And you flip through the pages of history and read about historical dogfights. And then you can click a button to actually play that dogfight and try the tactics that are described in the book. which I thought it was like an interesting idea um but you know the execution i didn't see anything that was super compelling uh did you
1: play detroit detroit i played it i was confused because it was like a sim game but then it looked it looked like a scum game like you just like clicked (laughs) on things and like investigated them mostly i did all sorts of um outsourcing that or i don't know if that's the correct term but you know you can yeah. build your factory wherever and uh made Donald Trump very angry at me uh, <laughs> for doing so you,
0: you uh, moved manufacturing out of the United States
1: yeah I also don't understand whenever I clicked on the wrong thing it made a woof sound it was kind of
0: yeah I know it has these weird comedy sound effects a lot of these games did um yeah so so Detroit is a Auto, auto industry simulation game where you start in 1908 with a car company and you try to beat other car companies and, and sell your cars in various markets and develop new cars to capture new opportunities and stuff like that. I, uh, I thought it would be funny to play as Tesla Motors, so I, I inputted my the name of my company as Tesla, not knowing that the game forces you to start in 1908. And so I wasn't able to immediately create uh, futuristic electric cars. So, um, But I did develop the world's first sports car and then was surprised when nobody at all bought any of them. And then I hired a whole bunch of engineers to try to develop like uh, twin turbo V8s and things in in 1908. And I basically, all that happened when I hired a whole bunch of engineers is that they would uh, go on strike for higher wages and I had to keep on paying them more and more until they basically bankrupted the company and we never developed an engine more uh, powerful than the one that the game starts you with. So I think it's fairly realistic in some ways. Um, <laughs> uh, I I had fun with it. Uh, my son's comment about this game was that it's cool how every single menu has a different theme song. <laughs> I mean... It's basically it's a spreadsheet that they've that they've pasted some colorful graphics over.
1: Yeah, um, I eventually got to the mega menu and realized, oh this, yes, this is the thing.
0: Right. Yeah, I wow. didn't I didn't actually discover. So you can buy you can buy reports on like demand for your vehicles. I didn't find this until very late in the game, right before mm. I went and went out of business. And I discovered that there is actually only one person in the entire continent of Europe who wanted to buy my sports car in 1908. Which probably is why my car company failed, um, mm. <laughs> but I, I put I put some time into it, and I, it was at least funny. Um, so I I give a nod to Detroit.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Did you play Jazzy Jackrabbit?
1: I I mean, I think this is the Fortnite of
0: 1994.
1: It, it uh, is. It, it is, is technically. technically. it's made by yeah. Cliffy B.
0: Cliffy B. Same, Who was same people at Epic. That's right. These are the people who would later go on to make uh, Unreal, uh, Gears of War, and ultimately, much later, Fortnite, um, among other games. uh... Uh, Yes. And I have to say, the
1: music was incredible, (laughs) especially on the AWE 32. 32. Yeah. Uh, They asked me, there were like four levels of sound quality, and I was like, Pinium, yes. Give it to me. (laughs)
0: Give me Uh, all the FM.
1: The game itself is Sonic the Hedgehog with a gun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I wrote. I said, I, I wrote, Jazz Jackrabbit from the team that would eventually bring you Unreal Gears of War and Fortnite comes a crappy Sonic clone except you're a bunny with a gun. There are no curved surfaces, and the launchers send you way too high into the air. They they uh, even
1: stole the bonus stage, like on like a fake 3D thing from from Sega too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so before this, um, Epic had another game called Jill of the Jungle that was a a side-scrolling platformer um, that did not have smooth scrolling. So this is like as a technical achievement, this is like pretty good, um, but it's also not a good game at all. <laughs> um it's colorful uh
1: it it it's the sound was good i mean it's called jazz jack so
0: yeah the music is good but i didn't really enjoy shooting turtles in the face as much uh as i did anything in any platform or released by anyone on a console in 94 (laughs) i mean you know this is the year that super metroid came out and uh this is no super metroid and stuff it's not it's not any sonic either um but good try, Cliffy B. Um, we'll, we'll catch you again for a future game. Uh, Blackthorn, did you Blackthorn. get to play Blackthorn? Kyle Blackthorn, my yeah. friend. Sorry, I should have given his full name, but it's not on the box. Um, well, yeah. So this is
1: a SNES port, I think. Awesome. Uh, it came out.
0: It came out on both. No, no, no. Really? It came out on both simultaneously. Anyway, it was maybe
1: simultaneously, I... simultaneous multi-platform release. Made made by Blizzard, and it's uh,
0: Metroid with a gun. <laughs> um, Metroid with a gun is, is a, a way of putting it. It's really, it's a lot like uh, a European platformer, especially the Delphine software platformers. If you've played uh, Flashback or uh, Fade to Black, uh, it's it's just like that. Um, and that's also sort of in the same vein as of Prince of Persia, where there are a lot of like, unique moves like rolls and crouches and going into the background that you have to execute and the the controls are are clunky Uh, oh god yeah yeah especially if you have to jump yeah so it it's just like prince persia where if you're like watching it looks very like cinematic and controlled but it doesn't control like a japanese platformer it controls like a european platformer like the aforementioned flashback and such that said it's beautifully animated um, I thought that the sound was very atmospheric and, like, the overall production mm-hmm. really shows what Blizzard can do. This is much more polished, I feel, than some of those other European uh, platformers of this era.
1: Um, Kyle Blackthorne is badass. He has this, like, no-look shotgun
0: move. Yeah, that was so... So, <laughs> so. yeah, I, uh, I I had my fingers, I guess, on the wrong place on the keyboard, and right after I talked to one of his, like, one of his, like, uh, fellow, you know, suffering people, you know, in the beginning, I like, you have little conversations with them. They, like, they lift their heads up. They're, like, chained to the wall, and they lift their heads up when you walk by. I uh, I hit the wrong button, and I accidentally pulled my shotgun out and blew his head off backwards um, instead of talking to him, which I felt very bad about. Um, so I'd like to apologize to uh, my enslaved brethren uh, in Blackthorn. Um, I did not intend to do this really awesome move where i shot you in the back of the head um but uh that that is what happened so did you play Dreamweb?
1: i i did a little bit i think i got stuck i think i needed to pixel hunt a little bit more they did have fortunately a special zoom window um, for old people like me so we could pixel hunt and find things yeah, um, but it's a it's an adventure game. Uh, it's like a top down perspective, which yeah, top-down I thought perspective. was
0: well. It's not just that. So <laughs> the whole left side of the screen just is face. is <laughs> your upper body in a, in, a, in a tan trench coat, and you're you're basically Neil Gaiman, <laughs> except you're Neil Gaiman that has like that extruded black play doh hair um, coming out of your head. And you and I mean it's sort of like in like Ultima where you have like the doll that or in Eye of the Beholder or whatever, like where you have the doll that you like drag things onto, but where it's so like there's an image of yourself that's always present, but like it's basically there because the game is obviously for like low end computers, and it just has a little a little screen on the right where you see the action unfold top down and then this giant Neil Gaiman on the left side. I yeah. I played this completely cold and I was really brought in by uh the the tone, the storyline, the sound, when I was playing it on a Sound Blaster 16, it was really atmospheric. It was like head and shoulders above a lot of the other games that I played in terms of like overall sound design. And I, and I, I didn't know kind of where it was going. Like I saw there's some text in the, in the PC gamer disc that was like, you know, you have to do some really, you know, kind of questionable things in this game but remember like the fate of the world rests on it or something like that i'm like okay whatever i died and they explained how
1: while i might think my death was insignificant uh basically <laughs> everything went to shit after that
0: so right i got i got that too i did you did you try open the doors of the elevator I, and into the penthouse? i i didn't get very far let's just say so i i i think there's a lot of
1: story i, I... yeah yeah in theory, would want to dive into, and it's you know, it's got this Blade Runner y cyberpunk vibe. Yeah, which, it's very it's length.
0: very William Gibson dystopian yeah. um, cyberpunk, and I I I like that a lot. There are a lot of games from this era that are going to go there. Every almost every game has some elaborate cyberpunk backstory, um, even if it's like mechanically not much is going on. But you now I, I I got up, you know, I like I I talked to the people downstairs and I gathered some stuff from. And I from the lobby and I I paid for my room and I went up to the floor where my room is and I go to my room and I put the key card in. The game says, um, you don't need to go in your room right now. You have much more pressing business to attend to in the penthouse. And I'm like, Oh, oh, am I gonna like, am I gonna waste those guys? Like, is that what I'm am I like a contract killer? Is that what I'm doing? I'm like, okay, uh, and then I was like okay but how do I get there like the whole point of the key card system is you can't go to the floor other than where your room is and then I figured out you know oh I can use this hatchet and I can I can rig the the, uh, elevator and I can open up the escape thing and I climbed in and then I like I made it and I used the hatchet to pry open the doors and I burst into the penthouse and then I hadn't read in the instructions how to quickly equip my gun (laughs) And I got killed, and I got that screen that you saw. But I was very engaged right up until that moment. <laughs> I,
1: uh, I do feel like in general needing to know the instructions is important. And I know there's a little blurb in the PC Gamer, but often, often that wasn't very helpful either. Like yeah. all it told me about Magic Carpet was to like burn the trees for an apocalypse now kind of effect. And I was like, okay, that's right. that's, that's not great. Anyway,
0: yeah, we'll we'll have to get better at this. We'll get better at it. I yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through the next part just really quickly oh, because these body were, count, I'll Wolfenstein body count. 3D clone.
1: And I know. I turn
0: it that, off. That, what I wrote was uh, build as Doom clone. Actually, terrible Wolfenstein 3D clone, and that's all that needs to be said about that. It was yeah. just it's just bad. Um, rel- did you play Relentless Twinsons Adventure? I was amazed. I mean,
1: it has the <laughs> Grim Fandango engine. Like, four years, really. <laughs> well, I no, mean... it's felt like it, man. It, it felt... It, yeah. I mean, so it's an adventure game, but it's, like, it's a 3D isomorphic thing, and I thought the graphics were incredible for the, for the time. Yeah, I mean, you uh, had
0: SVGA graphics, really crisp,
1: and a 3D animated character. Yeah. And it was very... The controls were similar to Grand Fandango, where you kind of rotate yeah. and then, and or, then go right. forward.
0: Or, or Resident Evil. It's the tank controls... Right. In, but what's bizarre is that it, you talk about the four modes.
1: Oh, gosh, the four modes. Yeah, well, I mean, we should probably just explain the game. I guess you're like a political prisoner. It's some sort of North Insane Korean asylum? dictatorship.
0: Yeah, you are. But you're also something. I got the sense that you're also supposed to be kind of like demented. Like um, maybe I'm reading this wrong, but it seemed kind of <laughs> it seemed I, kind of not pc um, i was very surprised
1: when i found out that you were just supposed to beat people to death and like, it didn't, <laughs> an it didn't seem like that was what i was supposed to do right uh and then that's what happened i mean sort of i just you know i picked the wrong mode and got beaten to death and then realized oh i'm supposed to beat other people to death then anyway I didn't think it had to be that way, but I guess that's just what they kind
0: of picked for this game. It is unique. I will admit that I got frustrated and rage quit this. Um, Because I got tired of him just, like, running into walls. And I I found the control screen very frustrating. But, yeah. Yeah. did you play any Rise of the Robots? Wait, some
1: Rise of the Robots for me booted right into like a two-player That's like exactly fighting simulation, and I didn't want to fight myself. Like, <laughs> what is that?
0: Yeah, the anyway, demo, I guess boots you robots
1: right into fighting.
0: I don't know if that turned you on or something else, but you well, know. like this game is advertised a lot, and I think visually it's very impressive. It was very fluid. Uh, it was high resolution. I mean, yeah, I didn't really like, I wasn't really looking for a robots Mortal Kombat game, but I thought technically it was pretty impressive what they did. I mean, we'll, we'll get some really good Mortal Kombat ports to PC later on. We might not talk about them, but um, I, other people had sort of recommended this game. So I, I agree visually, it's interesting. I, as far as like technically as a fighter, I didn't really have time to evaluate that. Um, uh i I wanted to mention one last kind of thing about what what's on this pc gamer disc. so pc gamer obviously they have suddenly they go from having just a floppy edition to a cd-rom edition and now they have the opportunity to just slam tons of stuff onto the disc and one of the things that they put on in this first disc was something that's notable the first total conversion of doom the aliens uh total conversion um which is interesting because um Fox had actually approached id software during the development of doom to say that they wanted them to make a alien. They wanted to to, them to turn it into an aliens license game and Romero and Hall and Carmack famously turned them down because they didn't want to lose creative control. And they thought that aliens was a little bit too like hot right then and too hackneyed. And they wanted to, they thought that hell would be like more original, (laughs) um, so this basically is kind of a, a reimagining of what doom would have been if uh, if it had been a licensed game for Fox based on the aliens franchise um, and it's on there which is cool and it's the first it's notable as being the first real total conversion for doom did mm-hmm. you play any of the you you texted you, me pumpkin.wand
1: <laughs> I just I was, saw the file name that's I mean you haven't shared doom with me to shareware so yeah okay I gotta uh,
0: I'll email you the floppy. <laughs> so, do you want to do you want to argue about the pick of the disc? Well, this is our this is our. I mean, segment. I'll
1: give my picks of the disc. It's pretty straightforward. I, it's I pick mean, pick of the
0: disc. What is your pick of the disc?
1: No, I'm not. No. Okay. I mean, I I mean, Wing Commander Three doesn't. I, I don't think it held up over time. I would. My picks would be the ones made by good developers which are Jazzy Jack Rabbit, Jazzy Jack Rabbit and Blackthorn. If I actually wanted to play something, I think I would play those
0: the full way through. Uh-huh. I think if I if I had to pick uh it's not going to be one commander 3 just because I don't like I don't think that the demo really captures uh what's cool about that game. I based on the amount of time I spent and how engaged I felt I'm going to say like uh probably Dreamweb is my pick of the disc um but Blackthorn's definitely up there Wing Commander what is there is is pretty neat so that's definitely worth playing and I and maybe Detroit if you uh if you're into if you're into industry sims Detroit is worth playing with um Although I, I don't know if the, my experience of it was, was what was expected to happen because I obviously didn't read anything before I tried it and didn't have a lot of success. But um, definitely Dream of, I think, is, is worth taking a look at. So those are our picks of the disc. In our next episode, in our first non-pilot episode, we are going to actually start 95 with January and the January edition of PC Gamer, which has Transport Tycoon on the cover and a long existential brooding over rating systems and censorship in entertainment software. Uh, um, they had
1: a great uh, top 40 as well, which kind of reflects what people yes, liked in that time. Yeah,
0: Right. So that'll be another good thing to talk about.
1: Um, Warcraft's so,
0: on the disc as well. Warcraft is on the disc, so we'll get to talk a little bit more about that. I am excited to play that on my actual real Pentium 100, which I am building this weekend. Well, it's already built, but it's broken, which I'm fixing <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> um, so I'll be able to give some some impressions from from real hardware. So thank you all for listening. Uh, You can find more information uh, about what we're up to at our website, smugandplay.com. We'll have links there to our new social media accounts where you can find updates on our episodes. Uh, Do you have any important sign-off information for us, Alan? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm glad I asked. Uh, Until next time, don't stop thinking about tomorrow.